Jeff, Jeff, I'm just going to tell you, like, before I do the proper introduction and everything, I j- just have to tell you. Yes. You say you have issues with these issues. This could be the end of the, the podcast right here. <laughs> I, I read these issues and I had, like, burning nostalgia. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> 14 years old again, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had a full head of hair in a very bad <laughs> hairstyle. I, I should add, but I had a full head of hair. I I was like, it, it was all like the terrible things were happening in my body. The acne was just like trying to suffocate me and everyone else around me. But I, I was right there again. The and good so old days you, is what you're saying, huh? Yeah, if you to tear this apart, then... Oh man! No, I like. I, oh, Jeff, like oh. Tread lightly. No, I know, and I totally, I totally get that. I mean, it's very interesting for me how much um, uh, I feel compelled to. Um, this is this is one of the few times where I I was like, oh shit, like okay, I think I think I'm gonna pull that that old man move of like. <laughs> You know, Graham, <laughs> let's just talk about I just want to talk about I mean, this this isn't particularly relevant to, you know, uh this discussion per se, but let's talk about the days, you know, back when I was like 6 years old and I read a little series called Manhunter, you know, and cuz I have this Oh, oh man. Oh, oh, okay. Don't we're going to go there. Okay. We're definitely going to go there. Yeah, all right. Terrific. So, uh, what? Why don't you do the intro, and we'll we'll get this we'll get this this we'll this get show on the road. This suicide train a rolling. So, you said suicide train. Honestly, in my brain, I was like, no, it's it's like the Muppet movie. We're gonna go be like, moving right along <laughs> <laughs> to the end of the podcast. He's ready <laughs> to walk off. It's all about Walt Simonson. You know? Yeah. No. I. Uh... Oh my God! Do you know all of Moving Right Along? <laughs> Like really? Okay, stop everything. If we, if if we can do a podcast, Patreon people, because you Jeff, you bet I'm putting this in the show. Patreon people, um, please give more money, and we'll set a whole new thing where Jeff will just perform songs from the Muppets. Oh Jesus! As as like a Patreon extra. Yeah. And you, oh come on, everyone. <laughs> Hello, Whatnuts. Welcome to Baxter Building, episode 38. I am your Muppet-loving host Graham McMillan and with me is my equally Muppet loving host Jeff Lester hello moving right along um <laughs> we are reading the first volume of Marvel's Fantastic Four in in its entirety in its goddamn entirety but we've reached a, what I think is a good point and Jeff has informed me that he may not agree schism everyone the first Walt Simonson issues we're reading issues 334 Fantastic Four issues 334 through 341 this time around which is the three issue quasi prologue written by Simonson and drawn by uh, Rich Buckler and Ron Lim 
and then the first five issues of Simonson as a writer, penciler, and inker for the for his initial issues. Jeff, you you didn't like these issues, <laughs> though. Sadly, we just left Rhode Island. Bum bum bum, moving right along. Duk 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 duk. No, I uh, Graham, I gotta tell you. Oh, don't like you. If you, you, okay, you have my permission. You can buy my these issues if you're just going to keep singing Mopin' Song. <laughs> um, so, so there's, there, there's a couple of different things going on for me. And, and, and as I warned you, I'm like, it, this is so, like, walking out of this, my, my biggest takeaway was I really have to impress to Graham and the rest of the listeners how much. I I liked Manhunter uh, by Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson back in the early 70s, which I read in the original issues. Because otherwise, people are just going to be like, you kind of hate Walt Simonson, and therefore you are a shitty human being, Jeff Lester. Wait, the... wait, 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 wait. Why do you feel about his Thor? See, this is the thing. His Thor is... Okay, but kind of oh, leaves me cold. Oh, no, see, uh -oh. and this is it. This that's, is that's, yes, it's, exactly. It's over. It really yeah. is over. No, I know, I know, I know. I see. This is the thing that's amazing about you, Graham. Your willingness to keep this podcast going. I told you I didn't like the Thor because I got that enormous, like eleven-pound Thor omnibus. Oh God, yeah, I remember that. You know, and, and so here's the thing that I think is interesting: is I think that Simonson is visually absolutely one of the best. American illustrators in in comics like and one of the things and this really proves it to me because you basically have like you said you've got a you've got a three issue prologue um that that Simonson writes and then you've got the first you know his arc where he is writing and drawing it and honestly, what I found for while reading it was I was like, oh, yeah, this is all really great. But it's very much a case of it's really great because Walt Simonson is drawing it. If you oh, take that, that's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I because uh, I will agree that I think once Simonson starts, to, it, it takes over the art chores. It feels dramatically like a different book. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the three issue prologue, three, three, four through three, three, six is fun for me and it is an enjoyable fantastic four comic and enjoyable in a way that the book hasn't been in years and i mean that of years of baxter buildings not just years of fantastic four uh-huh there's uh it's fun it's a a a light-hearted silly comic See, which ff hasn't been in like what since the Stanley Jack Kirby days? He, well, okay, so, but here's... Well, actually, the, uh, depend, it depends on how silly and how much fun you're tending to rank it. Because I would say, like, well, I don't know. There was some pretty fun, silly stuff during the Thomas Perez years, you know, that, you know, yeah, sure, yeah. pre-200. Pre For me, yeah, I got to tell you, and I think this, this might be, like, when you say schism... I think there is really is something seriously at work here where for the most part you and I are our age gap and our experience gap more or less um, rarely seems to become an issue because you uh, are su such a vastly experienced reader and so precocious and I'm generally emotionally retarded 
that it kind of we meet I do like in the that middle. You're, you're, co- you're coaching this in a, in a way that right now kind of made me, makes me look good, but I feel like you're literally softening me up for a gut punch. No, 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 no. I don't think so. I, I hope I'm not because basically what I'm realizing is is that a lot of stuff that's happening at Marvel post-80... God, I don't know. I'm guessing like 86 the, or 87. This is really 89, yeah. Yeah, these are 89 and 90, right? So it's kind of at the stage where I've I am I've really cut myself loose from Marvel in the sense of where I was historically at the time. Like I was So so you were not reading Marvel at this era, right? Right. And one of the things that I, for the most part, I say that, but the fact is I have the, the, the issues. I didn't have the dark Congress storyline, but I bought those FF issues uh, that the, this first arc as it was coming out, the, this is the big one. This is the bigger one. This is the biggest one. Oh yeah. So, so the, yeah, the, the Simonson, Simonson yeah. issues. Yeah. And, and so the Simonson, Simonson stuff, I was like, I'm picking this up, I'm reading it and I, and I was enjoying it, but it actually sort of makes sense that I was because these are FF stories. That particular piece is quite specifically sort of melon ball scooped out of a certain degree of continuity as far as... Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I'm realizing for me, that, and this is an uncomfortable feeling for me, is, is that the stage of Marvel that I was drifting away from when I've looked at it closely, I tend not to like it. And and part of it, weirdly, Simonson, again, I think I had his first five or six issues of him on Thor, you know, when it was coming out and kind of loving it and then sort of wandered off for whatever reasons. Weirdly, looking, particularly the Dark Congress storyline, really draws the line to me that Simonson is is creating comics at Marvel with his peers. He's very much an, a sort of equal architect in a way of a series of trends that I don't necessarily like. Ironically enough for the listeners, were um, before Graham and I were talking officially on air, we were talking unofficially on air. And one of the things that we were talking about was the importance of silliness in comics and yet one of the things that really strikes me um, as in, in the Dark Congress storylines is, is that there's a lot of like, uh, oh, how shit, look at how shit all these villains are. Like, let's look at how shit these guys are. Isn't oh, that hilarious? Yeah. And I don't really, and A, I feel that that was a, a more common that's kind of where the Marvel universe was steering in its way. It was on its way to being big and gritty and self-important. And as much as I want to pretend otherwise, like Simonson was kind of right there at it. Like Simonson with his role in X factor, you know, creates a bunch of ramping up of the universe and, but also taking the Claremontian darkness and, and helping ramp it up like this the, the whole well 
said. I, I'm uh, I'm going to push back on that yeah. because Simonson wasn't writing X Factor. He was only illustrating X Factor. He was. It, it was his wife who was writing. Sure, it. but she. He isn't writing it. I like, I can't I, I, believe I, that they're not plotting it together, right? I honest. I have always been under the impression it was Libby Simonson doing all the steering on the plot. Okay, that could it could well be, and it would make uh, sense. But but also, I feel that you are being. You're giving an, uh, a much harsher reading to these issues of Fantastic Four than than he's intending. Because I don't think it's just these characters are shit. I think it's that these characters are goofy. I don't I don't think there's uh, the harshness of shit uh, any more than I think that Gerber had like a, a level of harshness or these guys are losers when he used them in Defenders. You know? And I, I think I, I think don't know Gar- about that. You literally have panels where these characters are defeated more or less like off panel by the Baxter but think, building. But think about how Gerber was using like Plantman and other characters in Defenders. Like they were they were equally losers until the God, who was it? Who who had like the self help group? Well, yeah, yeah, until the self help guy comes along. Yeah. But that's but that's self help guy. What, what's that? Oh, Nebulon or Nebula? Nebula. Nebula, yeah, Nebula yeah. I think. Yeah. But yeah, um, right. But, but, but for, for my reading, at least, there's the same level of dismissiveness. And I don't, I really don't think that Simonson is writing them as um, uh, stupid in a bad way. I think he's writing them as silly and goofy and losers. Uh, but I, I mean, I also, I can see what you're saying in terms of like, we're literally coming out of the era when, like, Grunewald is killing off these characters. Exactly. Yeah. Because because they like they're too silly for Marvel. Yes. You know? And I don't get that from this storyline at all. Uh... I, I uh, an inclusiveness about their goofiness and uh, and and just the fact that he's using them at all. See, and that's that's what that's what sort of bothers me is kind of that idea of like, oh no, he's using them, so clearly he thinks they're great. But I mean, this is barely... I don't think it's that he thinks they're great. I think that he thinks they're dumb. Right. I think I think there's space for that. I think there's space for being like these guys are like even the front cover of three three four makes the point. Like mm-hmm. Fantastic Four alone against the deadliest villains in the universe. And Ben Grimm is going, you're kidding, right? Right. Because it's still man and like the Shocker and Armadillo right. and the Beetle. Yeah. No, but you know, I... And, I and I think that level of jokiness, mm-hmm. the like, you've got to be joking. We're better than these guys. That's okay with me. That's not dismissive in a cruel way, which I feel that you're reading cruelty into it. I guess. Uh, you know what? It. Honestly, part of me is like, I, I, I don't necessarily see it as, as just outright cruelty, like you said, because there's a lot of Simonson goofiness. Like, Simonson is literally like, um, you know, telling, goes on to tell stories about the the end of the universe in this time bubble, you know, using a weaponized Galactus, and the story titles are things like Guess who's coming to dinner and bigger than a bread box and you know and Kangs for the memories, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Kangs for the memories. Kangs for the memories. So there's there's a lot where where that's kind of Simonson Simonson sort of takes it all as kind of a level of goof. And but I don't know how to describe it. There's something where I think we one of the things that sort of bothers me is as we were talking about in at the end of Engelhart's run is is that Engelhart is 
a master of the yes and you know and and this very much moves into the realm of no but you know the idea is is that this story is like these supervillains are all really goofy but what's really important is the superhero registration act which people spend a lot of time talking about beforehand and more or less like the end of the first issue is them being like we're in Washington DC oh god and then it goes on with them getting up and giving testimonies and things and and Graham that shit is stultifyingly dull <laughs> it's yeah oh, and okay. I don't think that Simonson I mean like Simonson I think again in that same sort of way he has a lightness of tone he's not like Oh, I'm trained to do Watchmen. But at the same time, there's that level, like you said, that I very much sort of associate with Brunwald era uh, Marvel, which is interesting because I feel like it's it sort of, I think of his Grunwald as editor. Like seeing um, what he was doing when editing, say, The Avengers, and then reading this piece of the FF feels very, very much it feels very much of a piece and it and that piece is this is the marvel universe and we're putting the goofy stuff away and we're taking things seriously because we need to sort of reintroduce stakes you know and i i can i can see that i kind of want to push back a bit, a bit because i'm not sure if simonson is necessarily taking things seriously in a grim sense i feel that what engelhart and eh, not engelhart grumwald's really really brought to marvel and what is going on to a degree here mm-hmm. is the idea of like explaining comics <laughs> like the superhero registration act is is what happens when you overthink superheroes mm-hmm. you know and in in large part it's it's like the, the, this three-part storyline that he's he's he does essentially is filler because you know this is essentially three fill-ins before he takes over the book properly right um is is two parodies of other things happening in Marvel Comics. But even the 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 dual parody mm-hmm. takes the form of let me explain the joke to you. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think is what's what's triggering your your suspicion. You well, know, I mean, on one hand it is like it's an Axe of Vengeance crossover mm-hmm. but but it's also making fun of Axe of Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Like really clearly, the Acts of Vengeance crossover concept was the superheroes all have to fight a villain they have never fought before. Right. Because the villains have all swapped their foes mm-hmm. with the idea of being unfamiliarity will, will breed victory. Mm-hmm. Um, hence, you get all the 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 D list villains. Right. Attacking them. Uh, and but it's also a parody of the Mutant Registration Act stuff that's going on next, but. Yeah, except it's not. Hey, well, that's just it, because it's not really, like, it's not a funny parody. It, I, like, it's, it's a riff on as opposed to parody, I guess. Well, see, I guess, and I think that's the part that bothers me. Because, I mean, literally, you've got a sequence. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe he's trying to be fond of, he has a sequence where the ramrod pops up, runs, trips, and knocks himself out, you know? And that's... Like the only way I that like I can that, Dom, it's don't you make fun of it. Uh, I like the slapstick. See, I'm like, but Graham, there's no way as someone who actually remembers the the again, this is the Ramrod is a character from Gerber's Daredevil stuff. And and Gerber 
is an interesting touchstone to compare in comparison with Simonson in some ways, because I think that Gerber had a not taking things too seriously, and then there's parts where he takes things like very seriously, you know, and and so perhaps part of me is kind of like, oh yeah, Simonson is is not taking any of this seriously. He just feels compelled to make it seem like the congressional stuff really is the quote unquote serious stuff. But I mean, even in it, how do I put it? Like there's, there's a sequence in, so I guess for, for people who are just like, let's, let's have some sort of context issue three thirty four it three thirty four three thirty five and three thirty six are the, is this opening storyline with, with art by, uh, Rich Buckler inked by Romeo Tengal in the first two parts and then it's um, Ron Lim inked by Mark DiCarlo in the last part. In 334 which is called uh, come on thing Shadows of Alarm. Shadows of Alarm. You know there's a little bit of um, Simonson is riffing on the idea of you know kind of the thing that, that Byrne himself was trying to riff on. The idea that the supervillains keep trying to break into the Baxter building um, and alternately their characters like the Beatle or uh, the, who's the guy who gets beat up. Basically, the Baxter building has become so weaponized, even the FF can barely get in safely. There's a stage where Thor and um, Captain America show up using, amazingly enough, exactly the same swipes from the Avengers that Buckler used when he was drawing the last time they appeared in Engelhardt's run. And even they can't get into the Baxter building. And the, well, but also the story, the issue starts with Ben and Sharon. Exactly. And that, that's what I'm saying. This is they can barely get in themselves. You know, it's kind of that thing of like, so the first issue is like they're being attacked. Supervillains are trying to break in as we've sort of seen as a trope. And this time, like, Anything that they try to do, they literally can't get beyond the building. Yeah, they can't, they can't, can't do anything. I, I want to really quickly pause and say Ben and Sharon not getting in on that sequence, mm-hmm. uh, for my money, sort of pushes back against your idea that Simonson ha- is dismissing the villains because there is as much slapstick with Ben Grimm as there is with Ramrod later in the series. Uh... uh you know what? I... He, 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 he get, falls on his ass twice. Yes. Like, in two pages. Yeah, but that's... Okay, how do I put it? Like, part of me is like, yeah, sure. That's But that's Ben Grimm. The whole, like, that's not... He's not taking anything that's different from... You know, it's like classic Lee Kirby stuff. Where, like... But that's that's what I'm saying. I think that's also what Simonson is doing with the villains. I don't think he's doing anything... uh, Particularly cynical or, or... bad mood or, or or judgmental against the villains i think he's just going for this like random slapstick sense of humor throughout and it's just he's treating the villains with the same lack of respect uh sure except except then when we get into the congress stuff there's barely any slapstick to that there's a few scenarios like there's little bits and pieces that again feel very much in that kind of um, Grunwaldian Marvel Universe of like, oh, kind of like what what happens when you take the tropes and you either you turn them on the head or you play them out like they really happen. And, you know, so there's a there's a a bit in like 335 where like 
the FF are in Washington, D.C., and they're testifying before Congress, and suddenly an alarm goes off because... Um, apocalypse flying overhead. Yeah, Apocalypse is flying to D.C., and everyone flips out, and, and the FF like run out and start changing into their outfits. And then, of course, he just keeps flying over the Potomac and out to Chesapeake Bay and beyond. And basically, just as everyone gets like undressed, they're like, oh, shit, okay, well, I guess we're going back in. Like, that's clever you know that part of me is like and that does sort of have a little bit of the freewheeling tone of you know yeah what happens if supervillains show up and they're they're not clearly all in your league you know they... sure but but then you have the the like ramrod shows up and falls over himself and knocks himself out right or you have plant man and whatever spiky mutant liberation guy right shows up and they run into each other and they defeat each other yeah by accident like that that's the for me that is that is not hilarious slapstick but it's funny slapstick and it's it's not like i don't read ill will into that and i feel like you are I, the ill will is no. perhaps overstating it I, what i what i see of it is is a diminishment like it's kind of like oh that's great it's not as, it's not as bad as like uh fuck when like Fraction was writing Punisher War Journal and someone, you know, he, he had Valkyrie's horse shot like as a joke, you know? It's not quite sure, a... Sure, and it's, and it's also not Scourge where literally characters show up to be shot. Yeah, no, exactly. But but there is but there is also, again, and I think this is a little bit what I feel of, like it still, ha it still A, has a subtractive effect for me, I suppose. Like, and I just kind of don't think that it's... Like you said, you're like, oh, it's charm. But, like, honestly, I think that's the other thing that's rough for me is I don't really find much of it, like, that... Like like you said, the, the sequence that happens with Plant Man and, and what's-his-name is... I love how neither of us can remember his name. Yeah, exactly. Plant Man and dudes. Plant yeah. Man and guy, guy who's a Captain America villain. Right, exactly. The, that was... I thought that was relatively funny. But, like, the whole thing with Ramrod, where it's just like, oh, oh clunk. Like, you can either think that that's great, and, and honestly, I think if Simonson was drawing it, it would probably come off as funnier to me. But even that... The opening sequence that we talk about, where, like... Ben Grimm does not one but two Pratt Falls. I'm kind of like it doesn't really feel funny. It feels like it signifies funny, and I and I think there's part of me that's like, yeah, this stuff is not like you said. It's not knee slapping slapstick. I just kind of feel oh, yeah, like it's, it, no, it's it's not. It, it's it's raise a smile as opposed to make you laugh. Right. And and, and I say this as someone who really likes Simonson's writing. Simonson for me is always someone who makes me smile as opposed to makes me laugh. Right, Simonson's sense of humor is is that, mm -hmm. and and I don't wish to defend these three issues as like Simonson's best writing ever because they're not. It's three issues of filler. It genuinely is. Right. But even when like I think that Simonson's like I think Thor is a very funny comic. I mm -hmm. think his Orion is a very funny comic. Mm -hmm. But even then, it's funny in a way that makes me smile. Right. As opposed to in a way that makes me laugh. Yeah, I I just think that part of me is is like when when you deal with a Walt Simonson comic, uh, I, for me one of the things that I really become aware of is is that Walt Simonson the writer has always, when he has the incredible backup uh, in his pocket of he's being drawn by one of the best artists in the world, Walt Simonson, he's 
on better, stronger footing. But I kind of feel like these issues, to me, honestly, I'm like the the prelude issues. There's just something that I just find um, kind of negative and unpleasant, and in a in an upbeat kind of way. But like, I went back and I read the two issues because once you get through the dark congress issues you get to the simonson writing and drawing uh and and that second storyline is tied into the storyline that he started over in avengers the idea that this is that there is this time bubble that covers a 15 year span that no one can get into where the ultimate weapon is being built and and, and is being unleashed and uh, I went back and read issues 296 and 297 of the Avengers, which Simonson is writing, um, mm-hmm. and and again not drawing, and those issues are pretty negative. Like I, I just mean they're just I'm kind of reading them, and it's kind of like there's fun science fiction stuff, and there's some beautiful beautiful great goofy dialogue you know when people are yelling things going through the time stream that's really is truly enjoyable like is truly knowledgeable and fun but the the whole gist in issue in issues avengers issue 296 and 297 is that i guess the other nebula thanos's granddaughter has mind conquered the avengers and so they're all shits you know, and the process of them trying to break in through the time barrier uh, while being mind controlled by Nebula, who is a shit. And meanwhile, you've got all these Kangs who are kind of also turds who are trying to throw off her plans and break in. And like Kangs are dying left and right. And be, what I think is interesting about um the way that Simonson handles the Avengers when they are brainwashed by Nebula when she is able to to you know bend them to her will is they don't talk like the generic slaves they basically talk exactly like themselves if they were shit if they were shit exactly yeah. and mm-hmm. and Simonson sort of leaves it kind of in the air of you know he because because he underplays it there is a little bit of the um the characters come off as a little seamier you know what i mean than they should and when simonson returns to the storyline and the ff recruit thor and iron man and they they take on the time bubble with rosebud to the the super time sled um like it's so graphically engaging and terrific that it's really easy to get to forget that a the stakes are kind of amorphous and kind of poorly defined and also again you've got a character who literally is taken over by nebula and is suddenly acting like a big old turd and i and i'm not <laughs> i don't mean to say but like honestly by the time you get into that that whole you finally penetrate the time bubble. You see what the weapon is. You see what's going on. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's all a sense of... uh, It's super, super, super big action, which is terrific. But it's all incredibly abstract. The heroes are heroic in the sense that they're doing a heroic thing. 
but honestly, it's funny you mentioned Thor. Thor is the only character who really has any sort of um, spark to his dialogue. Everyone else is still kind of generic FF characters, and because there's no plot advance, there's no there's no emotional undercurrents. There's no subplots that I'm connecting with. Literally, it's all what's happening on the page is what's happening in real time. And so you get something that's kind of, I mean, because it's being illustrated by Walt Simonson, it's like, Jesus, isn't that enough? And and the answer is, it absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely is. But weirdly enough, when when I sit down and I think about it, or when I was prepping to read for this stuff, I was like, I just don't feel like there's any there there you know what i mean like the like the time bubble is such a non is such a dramatic inherently uninteresting idea once you take away the the, the stakes of it like it just uh, you know what i mean like it's literally just i do know, big... i do know what you mean i don't agree but right. i do agree mm-hmm. uh i okay Let's get through three, three, six first, and then we'll actually go into the time bubble storyline, and I'll get more into it. Okay. Because I, I actually completely agree that Simonson writing mixed with Simonson art is a drastically different beast yeah. than Simonson writing on his own, yeah. and is a drastically uh, more satisfying beast mm-hmm. because Simonson as a writer, and I say this as someone who likes Simonson's writing, um, has has a weakness, mm-hmm. and that is that his writing relies on spectacle for drama mm. and when he's drawn by buckler or ron Lim, as he is in the, the three preview issues mm-hmm. um they don't provide the same drama at all and and simon's also writing something that is like much lower stakes as you said three three five and three three six are essentially it's the ff in congress mm-hmm. you know like the cliffhanger at the end of three three five is oh are the ff like making villains mad mm-hmm you know, which that's not a, a like that's almost an anti cliffhanger. That that's an right. un cliffhanger, right. uh, especially because you as a reader knows that they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's it's the most weird cliffhanger. Um, and so Simonson, as an artist, because of Simonson's visual sense, brings a, a scale and a sense of danger mm-hmm. the, to the writing that other artists don't and arguably couldn't. So well, I, I I'll agree that to, that Simonson writing solo as opposed to Simonson writing and drawing is a very different thing. It it could be because I do want to at least open up the possibility that Simonson and this is in part um, you know uh, something that I thought of based on his collaborator, but you know he the first two issues is the ff with shit happening and it's drawn by rich buckler and honestly what it kind of reminds me of is peter david comics from the same time you know like peter david had was doing stuff in spider-man that is basically like look at this character this character is incredibly goofy here's some stuff that i'm playing and i'm clearly playing for slapstick here's the in jokes that i'm working for the in jokes and then here's the serious stuff that i'm doing with talking heads that's very serious stuff with talking heads because honestly looking at a lot of, lot of dark congress uh, the you know 334 through 336 part of me is like you know i can't imagine that simonson you know if he was drawing this stuff the the layouts would be dynamic there would be an actual 
cartooniness oh, to the character. Honestly, I can't imagine Simonson would draw this story. Of course not. I don't think that he would. And so, literally, the last five or six pages of 336 that feel like they're literally rested, torn from a different comic have a lot more vigor to them. And part of me is like, yeah, Ron Lim is finally, you can see him being like, oh, thank Christ, I get to draw the FF. You know, I get to draw the super adaptoid version of the FF. I get to draw Doctor Doom. Like, all of a sudden, this stuff does pick up. And maybe part of that's just like, Ron Lim is in, you know, finally in um, a superhero comic artist's wheelhouse, which is having to draw fight scenes. But it really has a lot of juice to it, you know, in such a weird, strange epilogue way to to what was several issues of, you know, again, I think, like you said, I think it's supposed to be dry humor. And I think the dry humor is supposed to be affectionate. But I just for myself, maybe I'm just such a weird old school Marvel fanboy that I can't help but feel like I'm seeing what Simonson is kind of tweaking and unfortunately because he's tweaking it in this era of Marvel it it to me it's like I have more of a reaction like I'm like this isn't a if it was just an isolated issue it's a tweak but coming in the heels of Scourge and the Savage Land being blop blopped back into Gorp Gorp, it just feels like uh, it, it, it. Yeah, no, I. I, I it's a correction. I yeah, you know? I think you're giving it lots of weight that it doesn't necessarily have. <laughs> For those following along without following along at home, the short version of the three part story is. The FF goes to Congress to argue against the Superhero Registration Act. When they're there, they are repeatedly attacked by villains. It is discovered that the reason for this is there is an electronic box which is driving people to attack the FF. It eventually drives the congressman and everyone else in the courtroom to attack the FF. Reed Richard switches off because of course he switches it off and then they discover that it is uh, where is it actually coming from? It, uh, it's Doctor Doom, right? It's Doom, yeah, it's but, Doom. But is is it actually Doctor Doom or is it a Doombot? It's uh, a Doombot. It later ends up being a Doombot version of Doom that they Wait, more or less they, turn around and. Do they ever find there. out if it's really Doctor Doom? I guess. Uh, let me check. I think they. I think I they actually. Think they do. No, I thought they did, and then they're like, "Ah, it's just a ding dang Doombot." Oh, um. Uh, Johnny hits him with a, a flame blast and he says like, ah, not again. I'm beginning to wonder if Doom was ever a real guy. And Which then... uh, is foreshadowing. Yeah. I'd like to find out for, for something that doesn't ever actually happen. Oh, really? Wait, it does, yeah, doesn't we'll, it? We'll, okay. we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get to this yeah. next episode. Right. But um, it's literally foreshadowing for a retcon that Simonson didn't actually get to do. Mm. Um. But yeah, so, and then uh, after the Doombot explodes, the Super Adaptoid is there, right. and the FF fights the Super Adaptoid. If fights the Super Adaptoid means Ben Grimm hits him, and that's the end of the fight. Right. Um, and that's the end of the story, essentially. The Water Wizard and Hydro Man attack. They go, oh, we're both water villains. Let's fight. End of story. Because Ben falls over again. Another Ben Prattfall. Right. The end. Yep. Waka, waka, waka. Yeah. Um. I for some reason felt that we should actually do a plot summary for these three issues. No, no, instead no. Instead no, of good. like weirdly yeah. talking around. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I started to do it and then then got into you know of course distracted and by my my own tendencies to rant. 
Um, so yes, so that leads us into the second storyline, which spans from three three seven to three three to three four one. I mean, just look at the cover of three three seven. It looks great. Yeah. There's nothing about that that doesn't make you go, I want to read that comic, with the exception of one thing, Jeff. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, it actually annoys me that Reed and Sue aren't smiling. Oh, that's really funny. Um, Reed Reed and Sue look so grim mm -hmm. that I'm like, nope. Because Thor's smiling. Johnny's smiling. Yeah, but... but but you know Ben Reed seems Sue- kind of like uh oh, whatever Sherry's not necessarily smiling. I think there was a Sherry's little bit of the... weird. Sherry's looking weirdly grumpy. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, which I get because it really is issue like just right from the cover on, what you have for is an entire issue that is just brilliantly. Um, oh, it, it's so it's everything about the book is different immediately mm-hmm. visually um, it's Simonson working on I mean as soon as you get to the double page friend page yeah. two and three like the scope of the book yep. is immediately bigger mm-hmm. than this book has seen in years right um, and it's but it's within a framework that is recognizable as a fantastic four story you know, Reed talks about that essentially this is a, an offshoot of the Radical Cube, which is how they discovered the negative zone. Right. Uh, and, and it's in, instead, you know, he's investigating a threat to time itself, mm-hmm. which feels like a, a Fantastic Four idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and this, is, this is me pushing back against the idea of like the time bubble is an inherently boring idea. I don't think it is. I think it's a, 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 an interesting idea. I think the execution ultimately is boring. See... I feel it. I'm like, Graham, I think you've got that entirely backwards. The thing that's amazing <laughs> about it is is that the execution is so remarkable with the sky sled. I mean, even the even no, the no, double yeah, page spread on page two or three where it's oh, just... No, no. I, yeah. I agree with you in terms of this, this issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, the idea of there is a, a, a period of time that is locked. Yeah. And no one knows what is happening, and it is making time travel difficult because it is leeching out, mm-hmm. and it is therefore a problem to be solved. Mm-hmm. I think is ripe with story potential. Yeah. I think what Simonson what Simonson does with it over the next few issues, it progressively gets less interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I'm curious about. I I agree, and and part of me is very much that that's kind of again the 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 idea of the time bubble. What's What's happening in the time bubble? The basically that you've got the, you know, the the celestial version of Cthulhu as the bad guy behind it is is all wonderful in scope. And honestly, one of the things that I think is interesting to me is how much um, Simonson is doing. It almost feels like he's taking. Because there's specific references, I feel, to Burns' run on the FF and, of course, Lee and Kirby's run on the FF. And he mm-hmm. is, I think, trying to tell a story that is influenced by those, you know, and is clearly different. But there's a, there's a lot in the, these stories, in these issues, that I feel perhaps to its detriment is Simonson trying to write a, a, a an FF story 
that is worthy of of the John Byrne FF. You know, that is that is something that Byrne would be like, oh, this is great. I wish I'd thought of this. You know, and it just takes a lot of of that sort of spectacle. And while the spectacle works, it's pretty it's pretty great. But at the same time, there's such a level of everything that Simonson doesn't want to really deal with in in this story, which sort of makes sense to me is kind of, um, again, as a, I, I would not have the patience for it if it was any other writer being drawn by any other artist, you know? Mm, it's interesting. Cause like you, you keep referencing burn and I, I don't get burn from this. Oh, um, really? The, 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 yeah. Like very much so. This this almost reads as a rejection of Burns FF for me. Uh, I don't feel like it's a rejection. I feel it's it's Simonson kind of doing is like there might be a sense of like I'm doing it, but I'm doing it better. But I mean, like literally, this story, the issue three three seven, is I think in its pacing not necessarily that too different from the the into the negative zone story you know where it's a, where the the big um finale of the story is more or less the super hyper graphic launching of the ship into the unknown you know sure but it's is the pacing of this and that negative zone story not relatively similar to a, to the lean kirby pacing wherein you spend essentially the first half of your story the first half of your issue on a different story or on subplots to set up the story and then you end on the big visual reveal leading into the next issue. Like I, I feel I feel this is very, very much Simonson has grown up on slash studied slash is slavishly trying to recreate Lee Kirby. Especially Kirby. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't like there's not enough I don't get enough burn in there to really make it even seem like a response to burn. I, I think like it, it 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 gets it's much more of a Lee Kirby to me. Interesting. Maybe in, I just in, think in it, large part because yeah. the visuals are so Kirby esque. The... In a way that Burton never never managed. Well, actually, it's kind of interesting because one of the things that I think is funny about it is how much it's Simonson is taking so many of the cues from Kirby, but also very much because Simonson has his own style, it's very much in Simonson's style, which is which is wonderful. And it is big. It's it's him in influencing it, but also he does transcend it. Like there's a lot of there's you know, by the time we get to the end of these issues, there's as much a Mobius influence as there is a Kirby influence in there. And that's pretty fucking awesome and great. Oh no, like like the Final, not only the, uh, I, I'm looking on the GIT core scans here and what is called page 22 to there, the page where, where they launch. Yeah. And then three quarters of the page is one panel of them saying ignition. Mm-hmm. And like just that panel yeah. is is just amazing. Yep. Because, the you know, the, the, uh, the literal figurative, you know the literal, literal figures in there mm-hmm. are such a minor element of that panel. Yeah, absolutely, and the panel's really about the graphic elements, mm-hmm. and even more so uh, two pages from then, mm-hmm. as head to the the inside the bubble, and even more so on the last page of the yep. comic. 
Exactly. You know, it's 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 moving into abstraction in this amazing way. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think to me, there's that sense of, but like, you know, in just a few issues from now, there's a sequence where they've, they're basically circling the event horizon of a black hole and suddenly it's all dark. So you just literally have the, the, the word balloon placement, you know, part of me is like, it only goes on for a page, but part of me is like, I really feel like you don't think that that Simonson wasn't, wasn't burn riffing at that particular point. Like there's a lot of points, the whole, the, the fact that Galactus ends up being, you know, such an important engine of, of it. And they literally have the characters, like someone says, like Reed, you totally said that you saved this guy's life and like ever, all lives were important. And now here he is about to destroy the universe. Isn't that kind of, ironic and reed basically kind of says like well you know altruism there were some mistakes made basically you know like that's mm-hmm. that's yeah, that, hard that's... not for me not to be like yeah he's he's definitely there's not a lot of 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 simonson being like yeah i'm really picking up the you know the reins from where Engelhart dropped them to me it's very much this idea of like Here's you've got Gladiator. Here's Gladiator doing all of his Superman poses and saying up, up and away. You know, here's here's Galactus at the at the center of the universe, more or less devouring, ready to devour everything. A weaponized Galactus. All of that stuff is very much and and to me, it's that idea of like and it's burn because it also is kind of super boring. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and so. <laughs> Maybe that's um, the through line that, um, you know, like I'm sort of, <laughs> but, but I really do. There's part of me where I'm like, yeah, these graphics are amazing. And then you read the issues. I'm like, really? Death said, death said, well, that, okay. That, you know, hey, back the fuck off of death said, <laughs> um, no, but this is kind of what, this is kind of what I, I was meaning when I, I said that, you know, the, the idea is great and the execution is lacking right. because it really does. Um, it started the last five issues, and there's maybe three issues of story in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it comes into more and more weird, unnecessary complications. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll get to those soon enough. But it's, I, I overall I see this more as Simonson trying to, as he did on on Thor, recreate or create his version of Lee and Kirby. I don't see it as a, a an explicit response to burn i Um, I definitely think lee and kirby are in there but i think that i i think there's way more than it there's at the very least a tip of the hat if not an outright like oh boy i can't wait to you know it's like i can't wait till john calls me when he sees this page kind of thing so you know that's fine it's 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 very it's a very picayune point so i don't i don't really want to sacrifice uh, our 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 con. There's plenty of other things for us to argue about. Let's put it exactly. that way. We could disagree on lots of other things. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the rough plot of three two seven is there is a room in the Baxter Building where the it's called the Radical Dodecahedron. Yeah, yeah, which, I, I, which is wonderful. Uh, it it um it is exploring this uh, bubble in time where, as Jeff said, there's 15 years in. in time which are, are closed off that the people cannot enter um and there is an ultimate weapon being built there which we know from simonson's very brief avengers run 
mm-hmm. and reeds who joined the avengers just after that storyline has been quietly investigating because of course he is it's reed mm-hmm. uh, something is going on the radical d as they call it i love that they call it the radical d is it, under attack it seems mm-hmm. because the the time bubble is moving time bubble is growing and so the ff decide that they are going to have to go and investigate as they investigate reed starts having dreams of a mysterious blue woman who says come to me come to me and reed's like no sue and then wakes up meanwhile ben gets the avengers involved again and thor and iron man decide that they are going to come and join the team as johnny also dreams of a blue woman who's like johnny join me oh look big monster join me and johnny's like i'm a dick sure totally into whatever blue lady (laughs) thor and iron man show up there is a sled called the rosebud 2 which is a time sled i love that it's called the rosebud 2 there is a time sled and the fantastic four take off to go and explore the time bubble the issue ends as Literally, they hit the wall of the time bubble and apparently explode. Yeah. That, I, I think that's all anyone needs to know, right? Well, I think it is worth saying that that, uh, that we have both Sherry and Ben uh, uh, joint, as well as Thor and Iron Man. And I think it's actually very amusing that Ben, for whatever reason, is wearing a hat and a trench coat through this. And I feel like that is one part Simonson as cartoonist being really aware of the importance of giving people distinctive shapes so you can tell who they're at 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 any level, which is great cartooning. And I sort of also half suspect a kind of loony uh, half Doctor Who reference, you know, in the sense of the idea that you've got a character in a hat and a big coat going through time. And the idea that that's actually Ben Grimm seems like kind of a, a sort of a, a joke, a, a potential joke. I think if it if that's, it's an intro, that's kind such of a it. surreal reference, and I kind of hope it's true. Yeah, I I did, I did not make that connection at all, but mm-hmm. I kind of love it. Issue three three eight, which is called Kangs for the Memories with three exclamation points, or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with one exclamation point, <laughs> um, shows that the FF have indeed hit the wall of the time bubble, but they're somehow getting through as they get through again with some just wonderful visuals. Yeah. Uh, the, there are three Kangs who, who come along and, and join the, the, the journey. It should be said in the spread of page two and three, because of the way that Simonson's drawn it, the last two panels of that double page spread are completely abstract. Yeah. There, there is no, actual information in there at all it's just design mm-hmm. which i love it is wonderful I, I, it, it's one of the thrills of this run in fact arguably the main thrill is simonson's art absolutely uh, which is so alien to the way the book has looked before yeah. we talked before about Burton being a visual break yeah. from continuity mm-hmm. simonson far more so oh absolutely so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's wonderful and it, it works especially to the storyline's favor, but very much to the book's favor. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it, it restores the book to the the shock of the new that Kirby brought to it way back when. Yes. Um, and also, to a large extent, takes the book out of the superhero norm mm-hmm. again and puts it back towards a science fiction comic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that I think is... is is works and and is true to the spirit of the book in a way that the book hasn't been true to again for like 300 issues now 
I want to ask you something, Graham, because this is this is I think probably the best point is the Kangs for the memory issue. Is here you have stories with the cross time Kangs popping up, and the FF trying to penetrate the time bubble. How do you feel about the fact, like, because it wasn't really until I was rereading through, read expositioning to to Ben and Johnny about the the time bubble, where I'm like, Inglehart actually had these characters go through this. He literally has a storyline with Kang. He literally has a storyline with them sort of confronting the time bubble. It pivots off of that, like, Wait, it more no, or less it gets does, distracted. Would... Is the time bubble actually in the FF in the in Angola's FF room? Yeah, yeah. It's literally Kang. Kang is I know there's time travel. Yeah, but he his whole point is he goes to the time to the to the time bubble and just as he's about to more or less um penetrate it, uh he ends up like the FF show up and try and stop him, and then Mantis gets kidnapped for him, and then the whole thing gets spun around to what happened to to Mantis. Shit, it's Necrodamus. Okay, we've got to move the planets out of position. Now Johnny's in space. Here comes I, the I, Silver Surfer. I literally did not remember the time bubble part of that at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't remember that in the slightest. Yeah, but it... that shows how much that really. Stuck in my brain. <laughs> well, I uh, did I did kind of have that moment of like, you know, I kind of get that it wouldn't it wouldn't stick in your brain, but in a way, I'm like, but you would. I am kind of impressed at how it's relatively recent. In you know, it's it's only a year before these issues. So, what's also really interesting is that what Engelhart was doing that because that was. Those were the Inferno issues of mm -hmm. FF, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the time bubble issues of Simonson's Avengers mm -hmm. were literally the month before Inferno started. That's right. Yeah. So that means Englehart is picking up on something Simonson has literally just laid down. Yeah. He's like, because he's, and again, he's like, well, I'm doing Kang. If this is what Kang's obsessed with, then this is what I'm going to have it do. And then I'm going to pivot and tell the story that I want to do. Which part of me is like, okay, fair play. But I am also, there is part of me where it's like, that's not acknowledged. That's not referenced. Like, you know, Sherry as a, a character sort of ceases to exist, which is fine because the rest of the characters more or less cease to exist in a way either. You know, they're just there. Sherry is there except when she's not. She has this really disquieting way of dropping in and out of the story. When Simonson uses her, it's kind of great because she is he picks up on the fact that she is smart and usually she's trading time theory with Reed in a way that's enjoyable. But Well, it it's really interesting because Sharon has no narrative purpose in this story. Exactly. I, I by by Simonson's design, which is the strangest thing. Yeah. yeah. Because the strongman aspect of the story is taken up by Thor, yep. who is a guest star that he's brought into the book for the storyline. Yep. Yeah. No, and and I mean, and frankly, for that matter, like there, I, it's kind of surprising that Iron Man doesn't get a chance to uh, really to, do anything. <laughs> well, he really do anything, but I almost feel like Simonson put him in there is like, okay, he's the person that has to trade knowledgeable time theories with Reed. And then he's like, oh, I guess I can have Sharon do it. You know, 
I guess I guess I'll have her do it. So you're just really there being like, what the fuck is Iron Man doing here at all, at all, at all, you know? Well, so. you know, I, again, both of us are like, this book looks amazing. Well, yeah. We're like, what, what, a, what a great idea. But the cast makes no sense. Well, yeah. I mean, because like, it makes no sense. <laughs> Why are Iron Man Thor here? Yeah. What, what, what are they actually doing? And for that matter, what does Ben do during this? All Sue does during the story is act as bait for Nebula at right. the end. Yeah, she basically spends a significant amount of time frowning. Like, and there, there is no point to almost any of the characters here. No, like Reed is there to be the scientific genius. Mm-hmm. Johnny is there to be possessed. Right, and that's kind of it. Well, see, and that's kind of it. It really is sort of. Uh... And there's something both good and bad in it. In a way, Simonson is kind of doing uh like this is this is a quote this is a great Walt Simonson comic, and that it's like Simonson getting to take the idea of the FF and tell a story that is his version of an FF story. But it really says something very telling how little the FF are a part of that. In yeah, in this. It's this this is again. First story we both say that we like. This is not a fantastic first story. Well, yeah, it really, it really isn't, and I think that that's fascinating. Like, in that sense, like Simonson is is kind of proposing something kind of radical. I mean, he's basically telling is it a radical D. Yeah, it's he's he's got a radical D of a story here, Graham, which is which is is that you can tell an FF story in the pages FF, of the FF. FF without the FF, you know, mm-hmm. like because that's that's what these five issues are about. Mm-hmm. These five issues are about the spirit of adventure and discovery of Lee and Kirby, mm-hmm. and not really about the characters. Yeah, you know, yeah. but but okay, so let's let's go back to three thirty eight because we are getting to. The inside, the get inside the time bubble. Yes. Jeff, right. What uh, is the, the construction of the ultimate weapon? This is going to be really exciting, right? Or not? <laughs> exactly. Get inside there, and it's a city, and it's frozen in time, yep. and there's only one character who's not frozen in time, and it's Death's Head. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, loves me some Death's Head. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, do grew up with him. Like I had his first appearance in, in like Transformers. You know, like Death's Head. He's my guy. Got his solo fucking miniseries with Brian Hitchart way back when. Like, love me some Death's Head. See, Again, I swear to God, actually, every Brit what comic reader of a certain age is like, loves me some Death Head. What's great about the character? I loves him. He is, I've got all of his oh, appearances. No, no, this what's is a, what's this great is a, about it? What's great about Death's Head? The design and the fact that he says a statement and then goes, yes, that's it. Yeah. There is nothing else good about that sense. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Anyone who says there is, they're lying. No, of course they are. They, Of course they're lying. God bless him. He's got a great design. <laughs> Jerry but like, Dillon is listening to this right now. Be like, no. No, there's so <laughs> much good stuff. Yeah, I know. And that's and how do I put it? His spirited defense will read exactly like his spirited defense of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It's like... They were there. They were loved. Oh my god! No, I mean, I'm, I'm coughing. I'm so shocked. <laughs> Jeff. Anyway, this, look, box building is not where people come for for 
unnecessary Kieran Gillen slams. That is true. You take that back. I, you take that back right now. I rescind. I am terribly sorry, Mr. Gillen. I don't know what I was We're going to move on yeah. and just accept that Deathset looks great, but is kind of a shitty character. <laughs> well, and again, this is the kind of thing that's kind of great about Simonson. He's like, I like this character. I'm going to draw him. It could have been Planetary. Like, I think we got lucky oh, that it was Deathset. No, no. it, it could be anyone for all he actually does that's that entire purpose is to go oh there's some gangs let's shoot them yep. what's that being sent out of time <laughs> exactly <laughs> which which is it which is genuinely it yeah, yeah exactly. and then uh the the ff were like let's let's go and see what's going on let's let's go and look at the outside the bubble and thor's like this is why i'm here to teleport people this is my entire purpose and holy purpose. shit like, yes teleport we're outside the bubble. It, what, what is it? It's a big thing. It's dangerous. Are those big bullets? It's another gang. Oh, no. Out of time. <laughs> We're being drawn towards a singularity, everyone who's left. What is it? That's not a singularity. It's, I guess, Galactus' stomach? I, okay. I don't, it's, there's, there's a lot that's going on here. And the visuals are great. But... The fact that Simonson is the dude who set up the time bubble and literally spend has an Avengers two-part story where the whole fact is nobody can get into this fucking time bubble and then suddenly once the FF break in and more or less reads like, oh, I guess it's because we broke in, suddenly there are Kangs everywhere and the idea that the weapon... To be fair though, Jeff, it is because the FF broke in. Well, like, we see that at the, at the start of the issue. We the see them break in, in. Yeah, but the, yeah. no, no, there's because the Kangs the that, that, that hop a ride, that hop on, but then there's more Kangs that end up popping up, I think. Wasn't that right? Where the bullet, anyway, let's, let's, let's focus on the idea that, yeah, Galactus is more <laughs> let, or less jamming. This, this is a pointless story. This yeah, doesn't really make it really, sense. It kind of doesn't, because in theory, I'm like... Maybe at this point, like Simonson was aware of Hawking's theories that that like black holes do in fact emit a form of energy despite the physical impossibility of such, and therefore Galactus is taking all the energy that the black hole is crushing and absorbing, and they're firing it up into his stomach. But honestly, it does have a little bit of the. You know, Mobius, like, but doesn't this really just look cool? And you're like, it looks cool as hell. It really does. The fact that Galactus has a black hole belly button, which, again, is my favorite grunge album from the mid-90s. I was, I was going to say, Soundgarden really not didn't get any better than black hole belly button. Black hole belly button, for sure. Uh, and yet, you do find yourself kind of going... How? Why? Like, like everyone's falling into the singularity and the fact that Johnny, who is possessed by Nebula, and nobody knows it, despite the fact that he says things like, we should kill them, we should kill them all, and in fact does kill a Kang in front of everybody, and he's like, yeah, you know, haters gotta hate, you know, and no one really seems to catch on, I mean, they sort of what? do. Well, no, no, they, they all kind of catch on, and later you'll they find out. They all kind of catch on, I mean, that's well, no, but, the problem, but Graham. But later on. you find out that Reed's known all along as well like that's that's the denouement like 
three issues from now. But no, but the reason that they all kind of catch on is not just that he's like, kill them all, but the fact that he then jumps out of the time slide to be like, I'm going to take out of this. Yeah, you won't reach the weapon ahead of me. I'll kill you before you do. I mean, like, part of me is like, that by flying into a black hole screaming, like, that's really unhinged and doesn't really make any sense. And... Okay, I fair enough. But... This Sue discovers Sue discovers it's it's Galactus by looking through binoculars down at Johnny. Yeah. Going, oh, see him, he's not very good. Then looking up and going, oh no, no, it can't be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I again, the plot of this makes no sense. I, would you agree, however, that like the weird dialogue and especially the captions are are charming in a wonderful way? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think so. I mean, that's like the kind it's of... especially so. The the last page of this issue is you see that it's Galactus. Um, you see that he has a, as Jeff says, a black hole belly button, and it goes next. We don't know what to say. We're not even sure if we're going to be publishing a next issue. It may be twenty two all black pages. Be here in thirty four. Bigger than a bread box. Our dinner is served. <laughs> That's wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, that's genuinely wonderful. Yeah. Um, I I should mention, we didn't really note that issue 337 has a title that starts on uh, page two. No, it's a chapter title that starts page two. And then, because the title itself is... is, uh, Into into the the Time time Stream, stream, right? Which I guess... And then it it goes, um, was it chapter one... No matter where you go, there you are. Is that what it says? It's no matter where you go. And then the last page as they slam into the time barrier is there you are. Which, again, just there's there's so much fun stuff that, that Simonson is doing. And especially when we start with the cover to page three, 339, which sort of takes the joking interlinked references that you had during the, the Acts of Vengeance and really ups it in a delightful way, you know? So the, co- the cover where it says that this is the big one, Thor versus Gladiator. Hey, whose book is this anyway? Yeah, exactly. Like it's just it's it's absolutely it's absolutely fun. And there is ugh. anyway. We should talk about issue, I guess, three three nine. Then uh, visit to a large empire. I, I do love the narrative caption catch up boxes yes. starting with this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the folks in the vehicle are none other than the Fantastic Four, actually five, and their allies Thor and Iron Man. Our heroes are riding a time slide some 30 years into the future. At this moment, they're hurtling in, at an incredible speed into a black hole that seems to be devouring the entire universe, and the entity apparently responsible for this distracting state of affairs is Galactus. There, that should make everything perfectly clear. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's There's that level of humor, which actually ties back to what I, like the level of humor I think he was trying to display in the three-parter at the start of this mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I do, but again... There's something about the Simonson art and this story in general, which I think ties into Simonson's art in that I think it's the sort of thing he wants to draw, mm-hmm. which is big, overblown, overwhelming. Right. Right. Where this level of dry narration and dry humor pays off because it feels extra ridiculous. Well, how do I put it? I think it. What's great about it is is that it it sort of it sort of pulls the throttle back a little bit. You know, It at this point, he is, he's being cheeky, but he's being cheeky about the, the scope of the narrative in a, in a way that's like, that just like the cover is going to, going to kind of reassure you, like, don't worry, we're going to have fun here. 
you know? Yes. And, yeah. and I think that that, which is great, but when you've got something where it's already like, oh yeah, the FF are being attacked by, you know, degrade villains. Like, it's kind of like, eh, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it doesn't play the same way. It, it just doesn't. Whereas here it's you you want snarkiness to play off against something bigger. Yeah. It it's it's a necessary snarkiness tonic playing here. off against snarkiness just is Yeah. It's snarky. It is it, 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 e- nothing yeah. else. It, it's it's not easy to, to for someone like me to mistake it as just kind of you, kicking the yeah, dog. You don't want it to seem cheap, is yeah, what it is. Right. Right. Like like I I I, I kind of get where you're coming from then. Mm-hmm. Like it seems tacky if you're you're just making fun. Yeah. Whereas if you're somehow making fun of yourself mm-hmm. and, and of your sense of ambition. Yeah. I, I then, think. Then, then there is a humility to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's it's less of a joke at, at, at plant man's expense, you know, which is yeah. fair enough. So, yeah, I, I, the visuals in this issue, I adore them. There's so much well, what, just god awful. What's lovely about this is mm-hmm. 338 ends with it might be 22 pages of all black. Yes. And by page two, page two ends with four panels of all black. And then page three is an entirely like all of those panels are all black, which is such a great payoff for a one line joke that the issue before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, I, I love that. And it's something I didn't catch until this time reading them all around as a winner. Mm-hmm. But it's so, it's such a lovely joke mm-hmm. where, if people remember the, the the previous issue, yeah, they're like, oh wait, no, they're not actually going to. Yes, because yeah. at, like the the payoff is page four, like opens with a big panel of them blasting out of the darkness, and that is the and that is wonderful. I mean, I love I love how dark it is, and literally how big. Simonson right, goes and, with, and how, how yeah. bright, mm-hmm. exactly, you know, and and, it, and the the visual. It, I don't I in a weird way I kind of want to share like all of these pages on yeah. the show notes right because the the rhythm of mm-hmm. the book the issue gets darker mm-hmm. on page two mm-hmm. three is all dark mm-hmm. and then the four just is so dramatic yeah. with the color yeah you know and and it is on a page turn we should say there there is a page turn between three uh, page three and page four right and it's that, perfectly that, placed the, yeah right mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. pays off yep because yeah. you are, it is getting darker, 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 darker. Bam. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I, I love how I love. There's a scene where like Ben and Reed are talking as the light is disappearing, and Ben's like, "Hey, it's getting dark. What's happening?" On page two, and just that scene where you actually kind of see the light leaving the, the them. Yeah. And just, there's the streams. There's the streams. Yes. Of, which is lovely because it's, it's the motion, mm-hmm. and yet it's it again such. I mean, we've everyone says this when talking about Simonson, but Simonson Simonson's artwork works because it is so graphic. Yeah, and because he's not trying to be realistic mm-hmm. at, ever. Right. Uh, and and so something like that again, it's purely the graphic image and then the, the balance of light and dark that really pays off. Right. Well, I, the, the balance of light and dark, but I'm I'm actually going to go out on a limb and suggest because one of the things that that's pretty great about the the splash page visit to a large empire is is set up on uh, as Simonson usually does Simonson really works is is an angular artist and he's very aware of 
basically diagonal lines of tension to, to yeah. create tension yeah. on the page. And one of the things that I think is just fucking delightful is page as page two, as the graphics disappear, it, the panels get are basically gets very stoic. Like there's no, he removes the, um, you know, it removes all the visuals, but like Simonson, when Simonson breaks on page four and there's just that breakthrough and that return to the light and it's so bold. The other thing that he does is he cuts the, um, the page into just diagonals and it yeah, which really, works wonderfully. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it, it does work. It's wonderful. And again, it's, designed as this counterpoint and part of how he sets up that counterpoint is how he removes the graphics and makes it a point to make sure that he works off a standard comic book grid to remove all verticality so the shock of when the lights come back on has as much to do with that that skewed um, perspective and it's and it's brilliant like it really is it's a genuine burst of energy in that way that is just genius there's so much excellent just world-class cartooning going on in this issue it just doesn't stop you know can i can i draw your attention to one of the I, and I'm going to be very mean about the writing, very mm -hmm. briefly. I want to draw your attention to something I really like about the writing in this mm -hmm. issue, which is on page, I think it's four or five, I guess it's page five mm -hmm. of the, the story. Um, Simon Jin just outright reveals Johnny's possessed by Nebula. Mm -hmm. And it's not a surprise, which I love. Like, it's not, there's no grand reveal. Mm -hmm. He literally just, like, cuts to... Johnny slash Nebula thinking, oh, I can't reveal that I'm possessing Johnny mm -hmm. in such a matter-of-fact way, which I really appreciate mm -hmm. because he hasn't – that hasn't been revealed at any point in earlier in the story. To anyone paying attention, we knew. Right. But there's been no – at no point it, uh, up to this point has it been revealed that Nebula is possessing Johnny. And then it's revealed in this entirely matter-of-fact way, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I love. I really appreciate it because it's it's basically just saying you all got that right. Right. Yes. No. Agreed. I think there is something to that that is a little bit. There, of there, a, there, yeah. there's it's treating the readers with such respect because it's really just like you know I just want to make sure you all got it. Right. Where it's like we showed you that a you know a mysterious blue woman was was fucking with Johnny's head. Right. We showed you that the same mysterious blue woman wanted to attack the FF and then Johnny started yeah first of all he screamed then he started acting out of character mm -hmm. so you all get that she's possessing him right mm -hmm. and I, I love the we like we've all read the same comics <laughs> we're on the same page here right of it all <laughs> um yeah I I again I think that that I I think that is the best way to look at it. Um, I... <laughs> well, I, I, and that's the nicest thing I'm going to say about the writing of this issue, because the rest of the writing of this issue, and in fact, the, the, the entire plot of this feels like a side quest that came from nowhere, because Simonson is like, I don't have any idea where to take the story. Right. So, you know, all of a sudden they're like, we've escaped Galactus. Let's go 
to the Shi'ar Empire because they're probably building weapons right now, See, but they'll be frozen as well. Right. And that and it's like, what? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Yep. No, to me, to me, that absolutely has that same feeling of, again, part of me is like, it feels somewhere between a burn turn and an Engelhart turn. You know, where it's just literally like Engelhart in insofar as like it's kind of tying in with like obscure X Men continuity, right? But like it's the obscure X Men continuity that isn't even real continuity because it's basically like the Shi'ar always seemed like they'd probably be in a fight thirty years from now, right? Mm -hmm. So they're probably in a war thirty years from now, right? Right. Yeah, right. It's it's it, it really. But this, along with last issue with Death's Head's appearance again, I love Death's Head, but I can't disagree with you that much that his appearance here is like what the fuck. Yeah. That you are like three issues into the story, and for the second issue in a row, you're like, what is this story? Yeah, exactly. Like, what is actually happening here? Right, and and so there is something here that's kind of uh, it just. It feels it it despite the fact that it's like so this is the absolute biggest story ever and they've got to you know defeat this thing it feels weirdly weightless it feels weirdly stakeless and part of that is the idea that they're sort of you know they're kind of like oh the, the Shi'ar what the hell are they doing well you know we conveniently have Thor who can like transport us through space instantly. And then we also have, you know, a convenient time blorp such that nobody will absolutely interrupt us. And apart from the one guy who can totally interrupt us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but it is it's a weirdly half-assed plan, like and it reads weirdly half-assed. And which, again, is part of me where I'm like. Yeah, I want to be generous and be like, yeah, Simon Sullivan's like, oh, we've all read the same comics. But he's being like, he's really, you know, you're like, he's 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 not underestimating the reader's intelligence. I'm like, or the alternative. So there's there is something that's like he's telling he's 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 basically doing the the Simonson version of the Kirby esque sense of wonder and bigness and which is you know right down to like okay now i'm gonna have thor fight gladiator for like a number of pages and it's like there is a way in which i'm like yeah because that that looked great you know like well, there's the, again mm -hmm. visually and in, in terms of um like uh, visual narrative momentum on the page mm -hmm. you're you're totally sucked along because Simonson is such a dynamic artist. Mm -hmm. You're like, yes, fucking punch each other. Yeah. Yes. You, right. Like, use your hammer. You use your, your you know, Thanos vision or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but it, it, then, you know, the fight stops and you're like, but wait. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you all doing? Right. Like, like, st like, you and I have read these issues multiple times now. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is Reed's plan actually at this point in the story? Right. The I like, mean, is, the, is his plan? Is his plan? Because the best I can get it is, his plan is somehow. Let's go and find lots of alien technology, 
then use that alien technology to build Galactus bombs. Right. We will then use to give Galactus cosmic indigestion so he stops eating everything. Yep. Is that it? I mean, it basically is. It's basically like, here's this super battleground, and Iron Man says something. These weapons look to be capable of releasing the total binding energy of atoms. If that's true, they may even hurt Galactus. That's a pretty thin uh, string to hang you know, a plan of attack on when you're basically running out of time. It seems really crazy um, that 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 because, again, it you do get a sense that the plan is such that it's kind of like this is what Simonson wants to draw. And if he's going to figure out a way to 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 make that sort of excuse for it. I mean, it's just it's a it's weird, weird stuff. You know, well, I mean, yeah, and again, it all looks amazing. You mm-hmm. get like a, an armada of Shi'ar atta- uh, ships attacking, like Galactus's black hole sphere, and it looks wonderful. But there's 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 narrative problems. Like mm-hmm. we see Johnny slash Nebula uh, sabotaging Gladiator ship, mm-hmm. but we don't know what that means because we don't really know what the plan is. Right, exactly. And yeah. It's like. Is, is is that bad? And the issue ends without that even, without it coming to fruition. Like the issue ends, we should say. Uh, so they go to the Shi'ar uh, Armada. It's frozen, apart from Gladiator, who of course is super speed. Therefore, even though he's frozen, they're not really frozen. They're just moving really slowly. Therefore, Gladiator can see them move at regular speeds. Yada yada yada. He goes, "Hey, I will help you. We will build this armada of attack ships. We will go and attack Galactus." Uh, Johnny sabotages the ship so Gladiator disappears but the Armada and the FF reappear outside Galactus's uh, black hole sphere thing. The issue ends with the uh, Dreaming Celestial waking up mm-hmm. uh, on Earth uh, and looking again spectacular. Yeah. It's Simonson and so Simonson drawing a giant waking up on Earth and dwarfing the mountains Again, looks wonderful. Mm-hmm. But again, you're left thinking, I guess this is all happening because Simonson wants to draw it? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's points throughout that sort of, again, some real strange narrative leaps where this is the, uh, throughout the issue, there will be, periods where you'll see a circuit board with overlapping captions in two different colors and it seems like essentially two robotic voices arguing with one another like one keeps saying like okay there's like a bad situation this is not good and the other one being like forget it ignore it like i'm not i'm you know and ultimately what ends up happening is the two of them uh, basically disagree, and then as far as I can tell, my theory, and I'm I'm not entirely sure, um, is that one the... short one short circuits the other, and it wakes the slice up. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, so the there is sort of an alarm system that has more or less awoken it that we've seen in abstracted dialogue, and in fact that weird little bit of business comes back in in the in the next issue in a way you wouldn't necessarily expect but um 
you know, uh, so that that leads us into 340, which is called Double Trouble. Um, also on the cover says, this is the bigger one. Yes. Well, she said, this is the big one. I I like that a lot. I like the Nessa. She says, this is the biggest one. Yeah. That's uh, absolutely not, wonderful. It is the not too distant future. It is the far distant stars. And the Fantastic Four are trying to stop Galactus from destroying the universe says the, the caption boxes. It is the not-too-distant future. It is the far-distant stars. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you get there that Simons is like, I fucking love science fiction. Yes, absolutely. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, as much as the rest of this story uh, doesn't hang together as an FF story at all, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that caption sort of shows what does work here. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's a it's a science fiction story. Yeah. You know, it, it's... you. You get the idea that Simonson's interests, and I think this was true also of his his third run. Simonson's interests aren't necessarily superhero interests. Mm-hmm. It's how can I use these characters to tell the stories that I'm interested in telling. Right. And in Thor, it was like my bastardized versions of myths. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's I just want to tell sci-fi stories. Right. You know, like I I'm I am disinterested in almost all of the the FF mythology. Mm-hmm. But but you know they're sci-fi adventurers and I can do a shit ton with that. Right, right. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 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 fascinated by how much of would you say that this issue? Because for me, the this is the bigger one aside. This is the issue that really felt like a lot of filler for me. You know, no, the last no, the last issue felt like much the more previous filler. issue. Yeah. The the Shi'ar, uh, especially so, so. We should say that uh, the the first like five pages of this mm-hmm. issue essentially are showing that the Shi'ar armada does nothing and is destroyed. Well, because uh, the black that, celestial comes and more or less like teleports them right into a black hole. So the black yeah, celestial I, intervenes, right? I, and that's but that's really what sort of emphasizes the previous issue just being a waste of time for me. Mm-hmm. Because it's literally a side quest that does nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, basically. I mean, you know, part of me is like, because, you know, you get some stuff in there with Gladiator and that's kind of important, you know. I don't know, because to me, let me tell you, in this issue, what you basically have is the, the you know, the Black Celestial shows up, destroys the fleet, um... You know, and they're kind of like, oh, shit, you know, if anything, we're worse off now than we were. Um, And they're like, oh, yeah, but uh, this seems to be the same celestial we found under the Diablo Mountains in California. I thought he was supposed to be asleep forever. And Reed's like, are you saying it has a base under the mountains of Earth? And Iron Man literally says, I'm not certain, Reed, but it may be worth a look. So, I mean... (laughs) Come on, no, Graham. But that, no, but that's just it. It's like, let's go to the Shi'ar thing. It's literally, we have like, we have a ticking bo- a ticking time bomb. We have a ticking clock. Right. Uh, we have the sci-fi concept of all time is frozen, like this time bubble is expanding. And then you just have issue after issue of like, let's go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Let's go somewhere else and do nothing. Yep. Yeah. But again, but the reason I the reason this is the less filler for me is is twofold. One, I just find the like it's weird monsters attacking them to be like visually more interesting than anything that happened in the previous issue. And also you get the um the nebula reveals 
figure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and also you get Reed's doing his suicide run, which I genuinely enjoy. I think the suicide run part is the best part, but I'm kind of like, until you get to those last five pages, everything in there, I think is just summed up by the fact that you have a, a, a page, a panel where someone's like, good Lord, hundreds, maybe thousands of deviants are materializing. Do you know how many deviants he draws in that panel? Seven, I just counted. Four and a half. <laughs> no, seven! In in that panel? Like, maybe, maybe... Oh, no, you're right. It's only six. I miscounted. <laughs> I miscounted one of their arms as a different deviant. <laughs> so part of me is kind of like... I, I'm sort of like, yeah, you know, he's like, yeah, then I'm going to draw this, except, oh, shit, I don't even really want to draw this. Like, you know, like... there. No, but it's like, uh, but again, that's more intre- like still more interesting than anything happened than the Shiarish. Okay. <laughs> the I Shiarish feel we are really such... splitting hairs here because I'm like, okay, no, no, I, we just no, we clearly... really We really are because both of us agree that like there's some weird side quest shit going yes, on. Yes, there's a lot and of I, weird side I, quest shit. The the drama of this issue ultimately comes from uh, Johnny slash Nebula attacks Sue in an attempt to basically jump. Nebula's trying to jump bodies from from Johnny to Sue. Yeah, and in the process get left behind at mm-hmm. the Celestial base when the Celestial base, to all intents and purposes, seems to get destroyed. Right, leading Reeds to believe that Sue is dead. And that's the that's the drama that drives the, the remainder of the issue. The problem being, of course, that everyone knows that Sue isn't dead. Right. You know, as much as the last issue, I was saying, I feel like you know Simonson is really respecting the readers. If he thought anyone was going to believe this, right. he's doing the very opposite. Mm-hmm. No one believes that Sue is going to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and and so there is this way in which it's. It's a it's a it's a non lander. Like it really just doesn't Stop making me not like these issues, Jeff. <laughs> well, I'm just sorry. Saying, I totally went into these being like, I love these issues and everything you're saying, I'm like, Well you're right. And then I'm like, No, you're making me like these issues less. Fuck damn you. Yeah, that's not fair. I agree. I'm being I'm being a dick in that regard. Wait, you're you're being right. I don't want you to be right. <laughs> Um, this is one us. This is the saddest episode Baxter building, because all I'm realizing is these comics, which I do love from my childhood, Jeff is entirely by being like, yeah, but they're they're kind of shit. Well, but I mean, but again, it's that thing of like they're they're really wonderful. Like I, but I don't know, shit. No, they are. Right. They're absolute. Like, no, they're yeah, wonderful and, yeah, and they have. They do when you're reading them have such momentum. But the second you stop to think about it, yep, yeah, it's it's. it's it be, really becomes a problem. Yeah. You really are like, oh, shit. You know, but but again, just part of it is, in a lot of cases, there's just, just world-class cartooning on every page. There's just, a, just such a wonderful... Like, even the scenes where I feel like um, Simonson is maybe not as interested in drawing thousands of deviants as he originally thought that he was. There's such a wonderful, God damn, the sound effects in this issue are great. Like you've got Bill Oakley. He's not John Workman, but he is doing some. Oh, he's doing a great job. It, oh. it has to be said, Oakley. Um, so Simonson is writing and penciling and inking these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, 
lettering for the most part is Oakley, although I want to say that Todd Klein did the second issue definitely, and I want to say that someone else did the first. I'll have to go and check. Um, the first issue is lettered by... Oh, it's Bill Oakley. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Bill Oakley does all of them with the exception of the second part, which is Todd Klein. Mm-hmm. But Klein and Oakley do a great job with lettering in these issues. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the so, issues look amazing, and the lettering is a really big part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so like the klaxon that goes off at the pit top of page 18, I guess, or the wonderful sound effects from Ben Grimm's gun on page 14, yeah. you know, just so much stuff. So, I mean, I think there is a lot of like, it's very easy, you know, we, I think that we spend so much time, I, I certainly spend a lot of time for myself um, not thinking about the art in comics as much as I should like I'm more like oh but the story or oh but the characters or uh when you come across a comic like this where it really is so masterfully done that it doesn't quite work like part of me is like that shouldn't necessarily matter and it kind of doesn't because I am like these are kind of these are well, these are just beautiful things to look at, you know? and, and again, so th- this is this is a comic that, as soon as you stop and think about it, it doesn't work. Yeah, but look at the pages where readers on a suicide run. Mm-hmm. Just like look at the pages, look at the layout of the pages. Absolutely. Look at the way that Simonson is is ratcheting up the tension, mm-hmm. and and the way he does so mm-hmm. in those pages. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're just, they're so good. Yeah. Like, as, just as pure comic. Absolutely. They're so good. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just genius stuff. Like, you know, you could, you could take from page 24 through, I guess, basically page 30 or even 31. And it's just a masterclass in perspective and scale and you know creating tension through yeah like, layout, like you, you yeah know? you look at and i'll have to put this page in the show notes but the 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 page just starts with sharon going he's turning this way coming after yes mm-hmm. the layout and the way that simonson is using is is using the 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 narrative that he's using the visual narrative mm-hmm. when he's choosing to do close-ups when he's choosing to pull back yep. the way that uh for example the second tier of panels is essentially one picture across four panels with the exception of the second panel is a close-up of sharon mm-hmm. so you have like the first of those four panels is for all intents purposes an abstract it, mm-hmm. it's like part of of the celestial's arm mm-hmm. but in close-up that only makes sense when you look at the third and fourth panels there. Mm-hmm. And then the t- the tier below that, he goes from five panels to four panels to three panels to tier panel below that, two panels to tier below that. But the three-panel uh, tier is, again, all abstract. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it's and it, but it works. You read it really clearly. Yeah. You don't have to spend the time to stop and think, what is that? Because you just understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and cool. also because what I do love is he's got that he goes from five, four, three, and two. The one panel is the giant panel of the black celestial approaching right, behind. behind all of it, and so therefore the idea that it's looming over all of it, especially because the last the last line in dialogue is he's catching us. Yeah, he's catching. yeah, 
you know, and he's there all along. He mm-hmm. is catching up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's... it's just it's masterful cartooning. Yeah. It really is. So you're left with this comic, which is simultaneously spectacular and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. Don't think, just buy it. Yeah, very much so. It really is. Yeah. Like if you just choose to to believe, if you just choose to go along for the ride. It's great, but as soon as you stop and question it, mm-hmm. you just hit like twelve million roadblocks. Yeah, we're yeah. like, what? What are they doing? Where yeah. are they going? What is the plan? Yeah, what is the plan? And also, kind of the like, there's there's no way that I believe this this particular. Um, it's false, false jeopardy. Yeah, so much false jeopardy. Whereas, like, I know that Sue's not dead, and you know, you have to believe that people believe it in the story in order for some of their to buy into the some of the minutes of drama that happen. But you just kind of don't. So it it right. is it's 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 a toughie, you know. Um. So the short version is they believe that Sue is dead. Maybe, possibly, we'll mm-hmm. get back to this in a second. Um. So Reed goes on a suicide run. The suicide run is ultimately a fake out. They get the Celestial to follow them and they ultimately trick the Celestial into the black hole, into Galactus' black hole, yeah. with the idea that the Celestial is going to be enough energy to to feed Galactus' hunger, to, to close the black hole and to, to prevent the end of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works for an instant. Right. Galactus, Galactus returns to normal and looks directly at Reed before being overwhelmed by his hunger again. And the end of the issue is Galactus overwhelmed by his hunger and Reed saying, the, uh, there's one thing left. There's one thing left we can do. But mm-hmm. it's, it's very, like, it's 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 the worst case scenario. Right. Next issue, the ultimate solution. So horrifying, so deadly, so impossible. We don't even want to think about it, so we won't. Sleep tight and be here in 30. <laughs> <laughs> again, Wonderful stuff. Yeah. Three, four, one. Uh, the world's greatest comic magazine, it says on the cover, this is the biggest one. Yeah. It's the not-too-distant future. It is the far-distant stars and the Fantastic Four trying to stop Galactus from destroying the universe. Yes, we know it's the same opening last issue, but it's all still true. <laughs> says in the narration box, which I love. <laughs> I love that they basically are like, yeah, we've not done anything. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Last Pretty issue much. was all filler, they're saying. Mm-hmm. Tell us what happens in this one. Uh, well, basically, it opens with uh, our surviving heroes on the sky sled, uh, time sled, um, recapping what just happened in the previous issue. Reed mentions like, hey, I don't know if, you know, when, when Galactus was satiated, he looked at me and I saw something in his eyes and I don't know if it's his thought or mine, but... Hey, remember the ultimate nullifier? Like, if we can recover the ultimate nullifier, we may be able to eliminate Galactus, his machines, and the entire time bubble anomaly that surrounds him. We may be able to nullify this entire future. And Iron Man points out, but if you're wrong about the bubble and its operation, we could also be responsible for the deaths of everyone and everything in the universe. Uh, and Reed sort of says, the future is dead in any case, Iron Man. So is the rest of the universe. Should we fail? If I'm wrong, we'll just have less time to worry about having made such an egregious error and the Black Celestial will have the last laugh. The sacrifices of Sue and John will, Johnny will only, and at that very narratively convenient time, uh, Sue manages to 
cut in on the uh, Time Sled's uh, radio box. On the, on the radio that has been used in every issue up to now. Yeah, exactly. Coming out of anywhere. Yeah, definitely not. So basically she's like, I'm still on Earth at the wreckage of the Celestial Base. Thor's like, no problem. I got this. I'll just transport us over there. Same way I transport us everywhere in this story. Exactly. I don't even know why we need this goddamn sled, but, you know, let's not think about it too much. Uh, Sue's alive. She and uh, Reed kiss. She looks very strange. Um, And her story is, is that basically Johnny jumped her, seemed to have gone crazy. She was able to deflect his blows with the force field. He collapsed and then... uh, surrounded both of them with a force bubble and were able to survive the destruction of the Celestial's refuge. Um, Reed tries to see what's going on with Johnny, what's happening. He's mumbling something about a, a blue woman, and Sue's like, you know, come away. There's We can't do anything for him. And Reed's like, sure, you're right. But he has a chance. We all have a chance. Let's go check out that amazing piece of plumbing that in the sky that is Galactus's... Um, uh, that amazing piece of sure. plumbing in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Going on up to the plumbing in the sky. In the sky. Take care of Galactus before I die. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Why are we, we really are. We're like a year from an all-musical episode if people... If we are not careful. And I just... I don't think... I don't think anyone really wants or needs it. But it's going to happen, probably. Anyway. Yeah, we, so, yeah. Should, they we should up. say very quickly that Simonson does draw a great Galactus ship. Yeah, he to does. To the surprise of no one, Simonson yeah. draws a great Galactus ship. Yep. Yep. Uh, here we get to see Iron Man take perhaps his most decisive heroic action of the issue in that he fucking pulls a wire out of his chest right. to manage <laughs> oh, to... Great. Watch out, shorts. it's really dangerous, Zap. I'm, look, I'm done. <laughs> well, and to be fair, it, Simonson does do that classic, like, oh my god, with that death trap almost killed us, and someone's like, I think it was just a house cleaning instrument. You know, again, that amazing, like, here we are. It seems very Kirby. Like, we're stumbling around in stuff that our brains can barely compare, uh, understand, and we're, you know, in danger of being completely wiped out by, you know, a bug zapper. Nonetheless, Reed is able to um, stumble, like, make his way through the hall, and what, what, uh, what Ben seems to think is a light switch in a, um, you know, don't worry, just buy it kind of way. Turns out to be the ultimate nullifier. Hidden is a human-sized light switch, which I just, I don't know. But before you can even question that, boom, ta-da, for the second time in the FF issues, the FF have are betrayed seemingly by one of their own because Nebula has managed to transfer her consciousness from Johnny to Sue, and then Sue... Uh, Basically, Sue slash Nebula has used uses her powers to to take the the ultimate nullifier, brag about her impressive history, manipulating Kangs through the power of her boob and butts um, in one particular panel, and how she was able to seduce Johnny through the bare midriff Madonna model that the, that that uh, superheroes like so much. But little did she know that. Um, Reed, of course, being guy who knows everything, suspected something was up, and in showing the ultimate nullifier to Iron Man, had him put in 
uh, techno flibberty gibbet that yeah, he, shocks he put in one of his capacitators, which shocked her out of being telepathically controlled. Of course. Don't ask, yep. just buy it. Exactly. Exactly. Basically, we finally have gotten rid of Nebula, nuisance that she was, who really did not much for the plot, which is fascinating considering she's sort of the villainous behind the sequence. Um, Sue manages to retrieve the ultimate nullifier, and then, thanks to the miracle of Thor power, they are instantly back to a gorgeous-looking Galactus who's in the uh, about to more or less devour everything. They manage to get his attention by essentially Thor throwing the hammer and uh, Johnny blasting Galactus right in his, his big mouth. Galactus regains sentience, asks for the ultimate nullifier, triggers it in his hand, and wonderfully enough, be, this begins the process of destroying the universe. It uh, leaving um, our heroes to basically outrace the end of, uh, of everything. Everything, yes, with the delightful um, commands: Kurtzberg generators to emergency power, existentialators at one hundred and ten percent, and without a sound, the caption says, "The universe behind them softly and suddenly vanishes away." And uh, again, it, if you. It, We've been using the GIT issues, um, which I think are great. The only problem with them here is because the advance of Oblivion means that um, an ill-timed Dick Tracy logo seems to be but the it, appearance it does, of a new it, universe. It bleeds through onto what should have been mm -hmm. an all-blank page, making it look like the FF. Also, between that and the watermark, it makes it look like the FF are running away from Dick Tracy and the Marvel logo. <laughs> Oh wait, are do you get the do you get the logo on I get, every page? I get the logo on every page. Oh my goodness, you've got to you've got to start the, the if you well we'll talk about this later. But basically, <laughs> oh no, you I, can I get know why. I just use the thing that I get the logo on every. Page. Oh, okay, all right. But if you're looking at this on Marvel Unlimited, it does have a wonderful sense of the the oblivion. They are racing oblivion, and it's growing, and that double page spread is wonderful. Uh. So it's they are literally just barely escaping. They they you see them like fly backwards out through the panel that you know the time bubble, which is well, wonderful also, because before as they're flying out of the time bubble, uh, they yeah. run across Nebula. Oh right. What is really nice is in the same panel where they see Nebula, you can also see in the background behind Johnny's speech balloon, Doctor Druid, mm -hmm. and at the bottom yes. panel, the two Kangs. Yeah. Yeah, that is wonderful. You're right. That is great. Also fun, when they bounce out of the uh, time bubble, the caption, the, the onomatopoeia is, I assume, from the previous issue when they bounced in and it is backwards, yeah. which I love. The time sled is more or less falling apart. Thor and Iron Man fall off the back. The FF managed to barely crash into their building, and if it isn't for Sue's force field, they managed to survive. They're all alive, um, and they turn on the TV, and it's like, oh, everything seems perfectly normal. And then they walk out of the room with the TV on, and then we find, oh, no, maybe they're not back on the right Earth or the right time, or time has changed underneath them after all. Because President Quayle has ordered the United States Armed Forces to full alert because yes. uh, he's going to war with Russian Premier Joseph Stalin. 
which is a lovely little end, an end cap, to suggest that something has gone horribly wrong. (laughs) Yep. Um, There's... uh, there's a bunch to like in this issue, actually. I, I think mm-hmm. after, like, it's a five-issue storyline. We've had three issues of filler. Yeah. I mean, beautiful filler. And filler yeah. that, as we said, like, if you just buy into it, you totally get sucked along. You're like, this is good time comics. But I, I do like this last issue a lot. I, I think this last issue sort of, in a weird way, if it had been a two-parter, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that, this would have been a spectacular two-parter. This would have been. Well, I, I, do you know what I mean? I, there's something I like. I love the first part of this so much. I love the last part of this so much. That I, right. I, oh, I wish the, the three issues in between were better. Like if, if I it, wish that you're right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, uh, clearly, I do perhaps. too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that I think is kind of rough is there is a way in which. Simonson sort of he draws the stuff he wants to draw he there is the big sense of it being larger and larger in scope but weirdly there's kind of a weird deflation to me of the idea of like oh why the fuck didn't anyone think of the ultimate nullifier earlier like and one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is is that I sort of half think for myself, like, why didn't I think of the ultimate nullifier, you know, early on? I'm kind of, I think that's one of the things that sort of bothers me is there's a little bit of a cheat. There's a little bit of the way that, um, the way that Simonson sets up this story is he more or less throws out a lot of the, continuity tropes i guess for better or for worse you know like he he throws them into the future he he has them be like well shit what are we going to do now let's try the shiar like death's head pops up but there's there's not the usual idea of like oh we're gonna go and take you know we're we're gonna gonna align a grab all the cosmic cubes throughout well, well, history exactly. and it, line them up into a super weapon or something. You it's know? what we were saying before that like Simonson turns it from the Fantastic Four into a sci-fi comic. Exactly. Sure, you have Galactus, but because it's not like the re- like there's no Silver Surfer, there's no right. other trappings that you normally get with the Galactus or an FF that yeah. you're not keyed in to expect the ultimate nullifier. Exactly. You know, the, right. the really is that moment of like, oh, sure, like that makes sense, mm-hmm. but but you're not given the 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 signifier that the all the tropes still count. Well, yeah, it's a little bit of a cheat in a sense. Like it's kind of like, okay, how do we wrap it up? Oh, we'll just turn it right back into an FF comic again. You know, and and Which, in a way, but, wait, wait, like I like that. I do too. I mean, I I guess a part of me is like, even as I'm sort of like, eh, it's a little bit of a cheat. One of the things that is a cornerstone of Kirby and Lee's Fantastic Four is is that is that most of the time the story endings are cheats. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is not a new thing. I mean, the Ultimate yeah. Fire in and of itself is a cheat. Right. Right. You know, it's, like it's it, it's yeah. first it's first appearance was the cheatiest of all. We can't yeah. beat this guy. What if we show him his own ultimate weapon and say yeah. you better leave or we'll use it? Yeah, exactly, 
exactly. You know, and and there's a way, and and Kirby would pull that sort of stuff out of his butt all the time. So it's perfectly acceptable in a way that it's here, but it's also somehow it's just, it's surprising off. and weirdly disappointing. Yeah, because exactly. because to this point, this the story hasn't been working to Fantastic Four rules. Yeah, exactly. And so that it jumps back to Fantastic Four rules is a surprise. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it's also weirdly fitting for me, at least in the sense of they abandoned Fantastic Four rules when they were going to the time bubble, and then as they're leaving the time bubble, it reverts mm. back to like regular continuity rules. If that makes sense, right? That yeah. said, like that reading is a stretch to say the least, because in, mm-hmm. like the Ned Simonson arc is as equally not Fantastic Four rules. You oh, know? interesting. Well, it's mm-hmm. you know. President Quayle and Joseph Stalin. See, I haven't read those. I really was like, oh, yeah, I don't. Also, I have to tell you, the next issue is a fill-in issue. Wow. You may not have okay. noticed the, the uh, cover for 337 says Fantastic Four is the world's latest comic magazine. Oh, yes. And right. that is because uh, Simonson, and I remember from buying this at the time, like Simonson was, this book was horribly off schedule. Yeah. Um, right. And so you are, like, there's a there's a fill-in issue, the next issue, then there's, I want to say, like, three issues, and then there's maybe another fill-in issue? Yeah. At right. least two fill-ins during the Simon Cinema. Well, they're, they're, right, there's the fill-ins, and, and then there, and this there's is, like, never a good them. sign that, like, if you're actually being replaced by Art Adams, you know, you've done something completely wrong yeah. as if far as deadline schedule is considered. Yeah, if you bring Art Adams to get the book back in on time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if he's your fast artist to get your scheduling back on track, things are, are, are dire. So, but, um, but yeah, it'll, you, Jeff, it'll be interesting. The weird continuity thing I discovered while researching this episode. Yes. That's not Nebula. Tell me more. That gets retconned later. Does it really? But Nebula is not Nebula in the story. It's actually Ravona, Kang's girlfriend. Oh, oof. what? Yep. yep. Uh, uh, Marvel uh, uh. continuity. <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense because I mean there tell? is. Well, no, honestly, exactly. like, like I why mean, it to be Nebula. I think it literally got retconned so that they could use Nebula for other Nebula purposes. Well, yeah, I think, and and honestly, Nebula does not come off great in this. Like, I mean, Nebula had only appeared in like three stories before this. Well, I know, but I mean, that's actually one of the things that sort of bothered me was having read the other stories. Is there's kind of that thing of like, oh, Thanos's granddaughter, and it's like, yeah, what are you gonna do with that story? Walt Simonson, it's like, okay, well, she's Thanos's granddaughter, so she's got to have just such a rockin' vagina that, like, she basically seduces every old creepy dude, including every old creepy Kang, and then she takes Dr. Druid on as a lover, and then she more or less, all of the Avengers fall under her sexy vaginal spell, and then in the FF, see, you can, more you or less keep saying like, vaginal. around. We see her butts more than anything. <laughs> We do. I'm sorry. You're just gonna have to look at it. It's a sexy ass spell. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry, Graham. Thank you. Thank you for being able to to prevent me from uh, making from an speaking. ass of yourself. Oh, hoo hoo! You're welcome. <laughs> oh man. Next time we're doing issues three forty two to three forty nine. By the way, 
Oh, and good to know. The sad part is, I think we're already through the best of the cybernetic. <laughs> That's not true. 350 is like genuinely mind-bendingly wonderful. Mm. 350 is the completely non-linear one that that brings Doctor Doom back. Oh right, yeah, the Doctor Doom battle. Yeah, that that is wonderful. But the I remember from reading these at the time, like what followed. See, I was like, oh, but I really preferred the first the opening arc. And on that note, Graham, do you wanna do you wanna tell listeners where to where to find us? You can find us in hell, listeners. <laughs> Just but you burning. Can't, but you yes. can find show notes. Uh, Waywalkpodcast.com. They'll be up. I'm gonna say midday Monday. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not even looking at my deadlines, but I'm really hopeful. Really right. hopeful. Um, you can also find us on the Twitters at Wait Podcast. You can find Jeff on Twitter at LazyBasid at L A Z Y B A S C I D. You can find me on the Twitters at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And you can find us on Tumblr at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com, where there are just random things that I'm reading that I throw up there. One of these days, we're going to get Jeff to do it again. Yeah. Well, I'll just we'll think really hard and hope for the best. <laughs> uh, one of what you know, what I actually do want to do one of these days. I want to send you like who's who pages. Do you remember who's oh, who? Man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You can just like choose which ones you want to post, and you, wow. you, you can write up what you like the story you want to write for those those characters. I, I I love I love how you're I love the baiting of the trap. You're like yeah. no, come on, alluring. I'm, I'm come gonna on, you, I'm going to send you like can you know, the Kirby and Infantino pages from Who's Who. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you're just gonna have to like write a, like a super quick pitch underneath saying who you want to do, like the story you'd want to write. Come on, that's funny. Oh on. man, we're gonna make this wow. happen. Everyone. Keep the dream alive. Um, we are also a Patreon supported podcast. Baxter Building exists because of the lovely, lovely people from Patreon, which means Jeff is going to uh, just tell us all a little bit more about Patreon. Jeff, I am. Uh, well. Patreon is a place where people who want can uh, throw us a little bit of space dosh. Uh, space in... dosh, God bless you. <laughs> to, to, to sort of um, uh, give a little bit back, I guess. Um, uh, we definitely heard from a lot of people that they appreciated the fact that we are. Um, a free podcast you if you get our rss feed you get the whole thing you can start at the very beginning run to the very end and you won't hear a single goddamn ad from stamps.com along the way um so we are going to have a blue apron sponsorship soon though so, so. oh yeah that is that is important especially can't, can't, can't. especially now that it's going to become the official u.s government food program oh, god Let, let's keep going jeff Okay, please. Uh, so we'd really like to thank all of you, but we want to give a special shout out to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are uh, especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast. And I have to say, I always talk about Empress Audrey sort of not crushing us in her mighty galactic paw, 
And some of the graphics that I think of in my brain are not unlike those from these issues that we just read. I always sort of imagine... Oh, man, like, imagine Simonson drawing like a, a giant cosmic gas. Yeah. It, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. shit, that would be amazing. That would be awesome. Like, that is something that we should, like, if, if only we could commission a piece from him. Like, that would be absolutely wonderful. The I could, I could not even ever. talk to Simonson. Oh, there, yeah. there, there have been opportunities I've had to talk to Walt Simonson, and I've, I've passed them up. Which I hear that he, of course, which is painful because he is such a. I hear a completely. I've heard. Um, I've heard he's like wonderful, the kindest, unassuming the kindest being yeah. on the planet. Yeah, exactly. It, it's exactly. just I really would just be like, do you know who you are? <laughs> do, do you know how wonderful you are, <laughs> Walt Simonson? Can you read my mind? Are we just going to do like the whole Superman song? Superman thing. There was something about that. Do you know how wonderful you are? It's like, <laughs> you're a star. Oh, no. But... Sadly, I don't know all the lyrics to that one. I say sadly, but I'm actually probably relieved. You can learn it by next week. We're going to be back next week for a <laughs> way we'll podcast, everyone. We are, right? I'm, I'm yeah, we are. We are. Absolutely. We're going to be back next week. Yeah, oh, I should say, um, apologies to everyone for the week delay in this podcast i was i was sick i was i was so sick that like it wouldn't even have been funny trying to do the podcast not only would i have made no sense i would have been coughing and hacking through the whole thing and it it, it would have been unfortunate for everyone not just me so thank you everyone be, for being yeah and, and waiting for to, be, yeah, to be fair graham was very much like oh, we can do it we can do it at the end of the weekend and of course i was i was in uh, uh half moon bay with my wife for a birthday and i was like graham 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 Let's wait a week. What do you were like? Let's record on Monday, and then we're both like, no. Yeah, it was kind of like no. that's terrible, and that, that that would not have worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we're sorry, everyone. Thank you as always uh, for your patience with us. And um... yeah, and that, next week, uh, 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 wait, what? Where we will talk? Hopefully, if if you have a chance to go to the theater this week, Jeff, uh, maybe a Black Panther movie. I know, I know. Let's hope so. I really want I really want to see it so we can talk. I, I, I really want to see it and I really want to be able to talk with you after. Yeah, Sunday. but so. honestly, like talking to me about it is like the lesser. It's just right. I, I I loved it. And and I think you'll love it too. It's not one of these wow. cases where I'm like Jeff Susan Squad's terrible, but I really enjoyed it. It's like a legitimately it, it for me it did everything that the Marvel movies normally do badly, it did mm -hmm. it well and it made it look easy. Wow! And I was just like, wow. like this is great. How how can it's one of those like you leave theaters and you're like, how can they really do another Avengers movie after this? Yeah. Like how can right. anyone really be like, you know what I want to see after this? Fucking Robert Downey Jr. again. <laughs> <laughs> and especially if he's hanging out with Benedict Cumberbatch, that's what I want to see after this. <laughs> if Chris Pratt will show up. Ah, <laughs> uh, Graham. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building. <laughs>